Okay, well, hey, it's great to see you again, and welcome once again to the month of November. Yeah, we are so glad to have you here today, and yeah, thankful for each one who has come out to experience worship together. We're finishing up our fall campaign series today, and yeah, we've been asking this question, what on earth am I here for? And we said from the beginning that there's no one in here, there's no one on earth that's an accident. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. There are illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. And your parents may not have planned for you, but God did. And he planned for you even before the foundation of the world. And that's why your life has value and significance, because you aren't an accident. So let's review the first four purposes for my life. And I believe we put these into your notes. Uh, the notes are with your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us today. I am called to be loved. That's the first thing we study. It's the number one purpose for my life, to be loved by God. And until you get that, nothing else is going to make sense. You are made by God and for God. But then I'm called to belong. Called to belong to God's family. You aren't meant to do life on your own. You're not a lone ranger. You're made for connection. You're made for community. And we find our meaning and purpose in our relationships to each other. And then we said you're called to become like Jesus. God has plans for your life, and he made you to become what he wants you to be. And you can't be anybody in the world. Now, people say this all the time, right? When you're growing up, you can be anything you want to be, but it's, it's just not true. When I was growing up, no matter how hard I tried, I could not dunk a basketball. Okay? I mean, I tried. I tried to stretch, and, and I did exercises. And there was this kid in my high school who, for a whole summer, he wore these special shoes that are supposed to add like six inches to your vertical jump. And they were these weird moon-looking shoes, and he wore them everywhere he went. And he came back the next year. He couldn't jump any higher than he did the year before. Okay, we can try to be something, but uh, that doesn't mean that we're wired to be that way. No matter how hard some of you try, you'll never be a pop star. Okay, it's just not going to happen. Uh, but you can be who God has made you to be. And, and so you, you can't be uh, who you want to be all the time, but you can always be who God made you to be. That's where the joy is in your life. And uh, last Sunday, we studied this next purpose, purpose four. We said you're called to bless others. God did not put you on the earth to live a selfish and small life that's all about you. It's all about honoring God and helping others. Honoring God and helping others. And we find our true purpose only as we give our lives away. As I bless others, I'm blessed. As I help others, I'm helped. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And when you sow a seed... You don't just get one seed back. You get many. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now today, we're on the fifth calling or assignment for my life. This is the, the fifth purpose that we'll get into today. I am called to be sent. I'm called to be sent. I'm sent to bring others into God's family. Throughout history, God has been gathering a family that will love him and live with him forever. And at first, that message went to Israel. 
And God gave this message through the Jews to the rest of us called the Gentiles. Even though God created every human being and every person is loved by God, not everyone is a child of God. You've got to choose to be in God's family by receiving the gospel. And for people to receive the gospel, they first have to hear the gospel. And so that's where we come in today with our message, because somebody has to pass on the good news. And let's travel first to Romans chapter 10 this morning in Scripture. Romans chapter 10. And you may have never heard uh, this powerful passage in your life. And if you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody or you just listen to what these words that I'm about to read. Starting in Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to start back at verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You ever heard that word saved before? That's, that's what God tells us. To be saved, we have to confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus, that he is alive, that he's risen from the dead. We have to believe that in our hearts, and that's what makes us saved. And it explains it. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. And this is what the part confessing with your mouth. There are a lot of people who say, well, I trusted Jesus in my heart, but I don't want to tell anybody. Well, whoever believes in Jesus is not ashamed. Right? That's like if you get married and you don't ever want to tell anybody that she's your wife. There's going to be problems. Right? If you walk into the story, like, you walk away and, and she comes to ask you a question, you kind of act like you don't know who she is. You're embarrassed to see her. That's how people treat God. You know, verse number 12, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So anybody can be saved. Jew, Greek, whoever. That's what verse 13 reminds us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look at verse 14. Look at these questions. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's a good question. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now the moment that I stepped across the line spiritually, the moment that you step across the line spiritually and you trust Jesus as Savior, he gives you the power to become the son or the daughter of God. And God wants me and you to share that good news with others. Can you imagine if I had the cure for cancer and I didn't tell anybody about it? And I had the cure sitting in my lab for cancer and I didn't tell anybody about it. Now, that would be criminal. That would be horrible. You know, God has given us an even greater cure. The cure for the disease of sin, which is the disease that causes all other diseases. 
We have the cure for how to have our sins forgiven, how to have a, a purpose for living, how to have a home in heaven. And to not share that would be criminal. In just a minute, I'll share with you what God says is the ultimate peace plan for this earth. In fact, did you catch the end of verse 15? It said that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God has already brought peace through Jesus Christ, and God has initiated this ultimate peace plan through the blood of Jesus. We are his ambassadors. We are his emissaries. We are sent with the ministry of reconciliation. I want to give you two incredibly important scriptures as we get started this morning. Colossians 1 and verse number 20 says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and, and so through God's peace, everything can be reconciled. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. His peace is available to mankind through the cross of Jesus. But now here's 2 Corinthians 5, and verse number 20. Listen to this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. And so here's the deal. Peace is available to everyone. And we are the ambassadors of hope. Those who are children of God are the messengers of peace. There's a sentence in your notes that says it this way. We are ordinary people who are empowered by God to make a difference together wherever we are. And look, this plan is not for superstars, okay? It's for people like you and me, ordinary people. And we are empowered by God. We don't do it in our own strength. God gives us the energy and the ability to do it. We make a difference together. We don't do it on our own. Uh, we don't go out as mavericks. We work together. We do it in teams and groups and community. And we do it wherever we are. Here, there, and everywhere. Jesus said in John 15, 16, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You know, fruit in the Bible is always a metaphor for its successful, productive, fulfilling life. Jesus said, I want to bear fruit in your life that will last. And I mentioned this last week. Most of what you do in life isn't going to last. Okay, most of what I do in life isn't going to last. The, the things that we spend most of our time on, people aren't even going to remember in 10 years, much less 30 or 50 or 100 years. Most of the things that you do in your life won't last. Nobody's going to care what movies you saw and what books you read or how you spent your summer, okay? It's just not going to happen. And can you imagine, though, getting to heaven one day, and someone comes up to you and says, I just want to thank you. And you say, thank me, I don't even know you. Well, I know you don't know me, but you helped in a ministry. You helped in a project. You helped in your church. You helped in my country. 
You did something that caused me to get to know God. And I'm in heaven because of you. And now I'm your friend forever. I'm your brother and sister forever. See, there's nothing you can do that's more important than helping people determine the destiny of their lives. Because eternity is the only thing that outlasts all of this. William James has a great quote. I love this quote. He said, the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. The greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. When you invest it in people who are going to last for eternity, then you're bearing fruit that will remain, fruit that will last. Now, this spreading of the good news <clears throat> happens in three dimensions. We're talking today uh, about personal peace, about local peace, and about global peace. And, and so my life and your life needs to be invested in all three of these. And we'll talk to you through what it means that we need to have a personal peace plan, a local peace plan, and a global, a global peace. No, it's hard to say. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, peace. A peck of pickled peppers, Peter Piper picked peace. Okay, now I'm ready. Uh, a global peace plan. And when I was in Ukraine, <clears throat> I got a video of it. Yeah, in Ukraine last month, and yeah, we were at a university, and they put me uh, all day to teach students in the English department. And so I thought, this is going to be great, because I was supposed to teach them about leadership. And so I got in, I started talking about leadership and what we're going to talk about that day, and they're all just kind of looking at me. So I said, uh, how many of you speak really good English already? And like one girl kind of sort of raised her hand, and everybody else just sat there. So I said, well, <clears throat> uh, let's, let's do some English translation just to see how it's going. And, and so I said, okay, here's what we'll do. Uh, I'm going to tell my story of, of who I am, and I want you to say it in Ukrainian. So we did that. And uh, then I said, okay, now I want her to tell her story in Ukrainian, and you tell it to me in English. And uh, it got dicey. It got really dicey. So we did, started doing some English stuff. We did some tongue twisters. And uh, I have a video of this one girl who uh, she, she went for it. She went for the gold. She wrote every word down and did, uh, I can't remember, she, she did, oh, Betty Botter bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter. If I put it on my batter, it will make my batter bitter. She did that whole tongue twister, and uh, so I videoed it. And uh, it's so cute. She said, Betty Botter bought some butter, and she's trying to do it all in English. But we had a great talk. Once we got on the same page of where we were with English, we had this great talk with each other. But, you know, God has called us to peace. And that's just what it means to be sent. We're going to be talking a lot about being sent here in the month of November. Uh, Pastor Cole mentioned next Sunday we start a new series called Moving Toward Compassion. And we're excited about it. A personal peace plan is my mission as an individual to the people who are already in my life. Okay, my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. How can I be a blessing to the people that I already have in my life? How can I help them come to know God in a personal way? Local peace is what we've been talking about in recent weeks that we do in our life groups, right? So local peace. And when we 
uh, go to help the poor or care for the sick or help educate people who are illiterate or maybe teach uh, English as a second language as a means to reach people for Christ. There are literally hundreds of things that we can do in this dimension of local teach, and we'll be sharing more about that. Yeah, some, there's a really neat opportunity in Odessa, Ukraine, and some of you will be praying about this. There's an organization, it's called E-Way, and I got to meet with the founder. And E-Way is an organization that teaches eternity by teaching English. And so they bring people in, uh, and they literally teach them English. They want to learn English because it gives them better jobs and allows them to travel. And while they're learning English, they begin to teach them about eternity. And they start churches through this. And they need people who know English. You don't have to be, like, when we say no English, you could have passed your high school English class with a D minus, okay? It's not people who know English, like, grammatically. It's just people who know English. They let you travel over there for a, a 9 to 12 day trip and get to be involved in these classes. And it's not much money. It's a really neat opportunity. They have some summer programs where you can go for a whole summer. If you like to snow ski, they have one in the winter. And you get to go and teach these people English for about 12 days and go snow skiing in the Carpathian Mountains with them because you're at a camp with them. Uh, but E-Way, it's a really cool thing. Uh, but the, the local piece that we try to teach uh, is in uh, not only in our area, but in groups of people that we already know. Uh, and then global peace. And global peace is our mission to the whole world. By the way, our mission Sunday is coming up in two weeks. And I want you to be praying about what your faith promise commitment will be for the coming year. I know that many of you uh, give 10 or 20 or 50 or $100 a week on top of your regular giving just for the cause of world missions. And we support missionaries all across the world uh, through the faith promise giving of God's people. And so I want you to be asking God as you pray if he wants you to grow your faith this year. And yeah, that'll be two weeks from today on November 19th. And on that evening, uh, we have our international dinner, our compassion night. And everybody here is invited. Yeah, it's, it's such a, a fun time. And so I want you to think outside of the box and bring two international dinners, okay? Or not dinners, but dishes. Two international dishes. Uh, one like a main course or a side, and one like a dessert. Because we need all the dessert we can get, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so be thinking, uh, some of you really, like, I'm going to bring Italian spaghetti and meatballs. Are you really thinking outside the box? But we've had people who've brought in Indian food, uh, and I love Indian food, at least quite a bit of Indian food, um, most, most Indian food. You may want to check with me before you, you do it. I've been to India four times. I can tell you what's good and what's not, okay? Uh, but, but some of you have done really well. Uh, we have a dear sister down here who brings Basque food, and she will not tell you what the meat is until you eat it. Right? That's always scary, but it's really good. Uh, but, but that's coming up uh, two weeks from tonight at 5.30 over in the other building. Bring your whole family. Kids are invited. It's going to be great. And that night, and I'll sh share about this next Sunday, uh, but uh, next, uh, that night we're going to be able to look at two special projects for this year. And uh, one of them is a project in China, 
And another is a project in Ukraine that I'll be introducing next Sunday. And it will tell you how we can give toward that that night. But you know, global missions is an incredible opportunity to invest in eternity. But Jesus, here's the thing. He didn't just say to do this. He actually gave us a model. And when you study the ministry of Jesus, you find that he did five specific things in his life that we can follow when it comes to this area of being sent. There are some things that Jesus did that we can't do, okay? Like dying on a cross or rising from the tomb. I can't do that, neither can you. But there are things that he modeled for us to do like he did. And, and so first, he planted a church. He said to his disciples, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He started a gathering. It was a special gathering that promoted peace with God and peace with others. The reason that there is so much conflict and depravity in the world is that we all have a spiritual emptiness. Mankind has a spiritual emptiness. And when people are empty in their hearts, they war, not only with themselves, but they war with God and they war with other people. And there are conflicts in relationships and between genders and and groups and people of different economic levels and nations and races and religions. Now, why is that? Because we don't have peace in our hearts. And so Jesus planted a church that promoted reconciliation. That was his first step in the peace strategy. And I think I gave you this in your notes. To defeat spiritual emptiness, We are to plant churches and preach peace. Okay, to defeat spiritual emptiness, we are to plant churches and preach peace. You know, Jesus did something else. He started the church with his disciples. But Jesus also equipped servant leaders. Uh, Follow me on this. Okay, Jesus loved everybody. He did. He loved everybody. He fed 5,000. He healed hundreds. He trained 70 to go out two by two. Uh, He discipled 12, and he mentored three. Jesus equipped servant leaders. This is the second step in his peace strategy. To defeat self-centered leaders, we are to equip servant leaders. One of the biggest problems across the globe today is self-centered leaders. Uh, They lead nations, some of them. Uh, They lead organizations, some of them. And so we need to equip servant leaders. Here's another thing Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth. Here's what you find about him. He assisted the poor wherever he went. In his very first sermon, here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It was the first agenda item that he gave in his first sermon. Now, does God have favorites? Well, his word says that he loves the poor. You know, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about the poor. God says, if you help the poor, I'll help you. So Jesus assisted the poor. That's the third step. To defeat extreme poverty, we are to assist the poor. 
We know that Jesus cared for the sick. He went into every village he could, preaching and healing. There are many, many stories of his care for the sick. And so here's the fourth step. To defeat pandemic diseases, we are to care for the sick. You know, as Jesus went into these places preaching and healing, he was also teaching, and that's education. <clears throat> he did healing, that's health care. Look, it's not by accident that in every single nation of the world, the first hospital and the first university were started by Christians. It's because we have a preaching and teaching and healing faith. Now, Jesus wasn't just our Savior. He was our teacher and our healer. Here's step five. To defeat illiteracy, we are to educate the next generation. Jesus cared about the next generation. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. You know, Jesus did all of these things to promote peace. You say, well, I'm tired. I don't want to hear about peace, world peace. I just want to hear about the gospel. Well, my friend, maybe you should read Romans 10 again. The gospel is the gospel of peace. And the only way we get real peace is not by government heads meeting in a room around the table. The only way we get lasting peace is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus modeled these five behaviors. You say, well, why, what, is, what are you talking about? We educate the next generation. Uh, what does that have to do with the gospel? Well, let me kind of riddle it to you, you Batman people, okay? Riddle it to you. If kids can't read, they can't read the Bible. Do you know what the first book was that the pioneer schools taught? The Bible. And now, the Word of God in public education in America has been out of the classroom for almost 50 years. And you see what's happened in our society. You look at some of the graphs and look at some of the, uh, the studies and the figures of what has happened since the Bible exited the classroom. The divorce rate has skyrocketed. Now, the number of unwed mothers has skyrocketed. The drug problem has skyrocketed. Uh, all of the sexual sins in our nation and the diseases that come with it have skyrocketed. Because when we take God out, we don't have peace. Jeremiah said, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked, to the people who refuse to know God. And so we've got to do these things. And that's really the peace plan that we'll be talking about because Jesus is the fix for all of the biggest problems in the world. Emptiness. Self-centered leadership, poverty, disease, illiteracy. He is the antidote for all of it. I heard a guy say it this way once. Jesus is the answer. What's the question? If you take any problem in the world, he's the answer. And if you ask any question about how to solve something in the world, Jesus is the answer. What's the question? And you know, he's left us this model. There are today, in 2017, close to 3,000 tribes of people who have never heard of Jesus. Still, today, in the information age. They don't have one verse of scripture in their native language. Many of them are stuck in idolatry and poverty and disease 
and illiteracy, and they're often led by self-serving despots and dictators. It's really amazing that 2,000 years after Jesus, that there is still that many people groups with no gospel message. Could I tell you that God loves them as much as he loves you? God loves them as much as he loves me. God loves them just as much as he does the people in Europe or the people in the United States. See, American Christians unwittingly fall for this thing that we are loved by God more than other people. And it's a complete myth. It's a complete lie. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so God says, I want to send you to go to those people They are the uttermost parts of the earth. There's a beautiful scene in the book of Revelation. And it describes this picture in heaven of people surrounding the throne of God from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group. All of them are in the family of God. And right now there's a problem with that picture because thousands of tribes have still never heard the good news. Now for us, That sounds a little like going to the moon, right? I mean, several hundred of those tribes are in the horrible environment of the Sudan. And so you say, well, how do we get there? And and I think that instead of asking how do we get there, first we have to make the decision to go and then solve the problem of how to get there. Nobody solves all the problems of parenting and then says, you know what, let's have a kid. No, you have a kid, and then once you've made that decision, you spend the rest of your life solving the problem. Okay? Have you ever noticed that people who don't have children uh, have all the answers to raising children? Right? And before you had kids, when you went into Walmart and somebody's three-year-old was screaming, you're like, if that was my kid, that kid wouldn't be screaming in Walmart in a public place like this. I'd have it all figured out. Uh Uh-huh. I've seen your three-year-old. Right? So... Yeah, so we have, all of us kind of have these aspirations of, of how to fix things, how to solve things. But you know, the deal is, is we have to make the decision to go first and then solve the problem of how to get there. Uh, in 1963, President John F. Kennedy, he stood up in Houston at Rice University, and he made this bold statement. He said, we're going to the moon, and we're going to be there by the end of the decade. Now, when he said that, it was technologically and scientifically impossible. Okay, we, we did not have the technology and we hadn't learned the science. And so the decision came first and then the problem solving. But by the way, did you know that NASA had less computer power in sending a man to the moon than you have in your smartphone today? Right? There was less computing power to send a man to the moon than you have in your iPhone or your Samsung. I heard you go for it. As soon as I said iPhone. So the decision was made. But, you know, how did getting to the moon actually happen? Well, those of you who are alive, you may remember this. It went in three phases. Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo. And at Mercury, the phase was they had to put a man in space and bring him back safely. Yeah, we did that seven times. The guys never actually did anything in space. They just went there and came back. And, and then Jim and I solved the next problem. Can we put a man in space and let him practice all the things he has to do to get to the moon? 
Can he stay up there long enough? So they orbited the earth 70 times to show we can do this long enough. Can, uh, can he spacewalk? Can they dock spacecraft together? So that was Gemini. And then came Apollo. And uh, the whole Apollo series. And finally, with Apollo 11. Uh, how many of you were alive when Apollo 11 landed? Okay. How many of you were not just alive, but you actually remember? Okay. So you're the really old ones then. Um, <laughs> if you actually remember. I'm just teasing. But um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed the lunar module, the Eagle, uh, July 20th, 1969, on the Sea of Tranquility and took the first steps on the moon. What seemed impossible just six years before became a reality because somebody decided and then they solved the problems. Now, Jesus gave his disciples and his future disciples a much more important task. Now, can I tell you this? The task has already been decided for us. Okay? All we have to do is get there. All we have to do is continue what Jesus has already started for us. Jesus said, I'm leaving to return to my Father. Peace I give you. Not as the world offers, but it's my peace. And then he prayed to the Father in John 17, and he said, Father, I pray peace for these people. And I pray peace for the whole world. And then he stood to them in Acts chapter 1, and he said, the power of the Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria out of the uttermost parts of the earth. And the gathering Jesus had started began to spread across the known world, and it's still spreading. You know, Jerusalem and Judea has often been likened to our city and our county. Samaria is kind of this interesting one because a lot of people say, well, that just means we went further out. But Samaria was actually, uh, they were going to people in their own communities, in their own region, in their own area who were not acceptable to society. They were going to people who were outcasts. They were going to people uh, who when others looked at them, they kind of passed by them. And, and Jesus says, you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then the uttermost part of the earth. I tell you this, the good news is still on the march today. And God wants you to be a part. God has a mission for your life. I love what Paul told the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He said, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, as we finish up today, I, I would like to help answer this question. What does God want me to do? Okay, so with all the information that we just talked about, what is it that God wants me to do? Okay, what's my part? How could I be involved in this? How am I sent to go to the uttermost parts of the world? First, we say this. Pray that people will say yes to God. Pray that people will say yes to God. And yes, we should pray for those who are lost, that the Spirit would convict them of sin and draw them to Jesus. But this is a different prayer than that. In fact, this is the only prayer request that Jesus ever gave. It's the only one. The only prayer request that Jesus ever gave 
It's located in Matthew 9 in your Bible. And here's what Jesus says. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. It's his prayer request. Now, why did he give that prayer request? Well, he just told them. Because the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And so we are to pray, and we should do this on a daily, regular basis, that people will say yes to God and accept their life mission and their life message. Part of your calling in life is to pray that God will send out people to reach everybody with the good news of his love. Think about this. Does anybody deserve to hear the good news twice when there are billions who have never heard it once? It's crazy how many times uh, people in the United States, most, you know, the average American has copies of the Bible in their home, even the ones who are non-believers. And it's just so common. We have Christian bookstores, actually, in the United States, and there are nations that don't have even a copy of the Word of God in their own language. And we're so spoiled and we're so blessed. But we then should pray that God will send people out. Here's the second part. Give to help others go. We should give to help others go because God has been generous to us. We should be generous in helping to get the word out. At the end of his life, the Apostle John wrote a letter to one of his disciples and had a, it's a man, he wrote it to a man named Gaius. And you can find this in the tiny book of 3 John. Anyway, in, in verse 6 he said, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. So when you're dealing with people who are giving the gospel out, if you bring them forward on their journey, you're doing the right thing. You're doing well. And God wants us to give so that other people can go. God wants us to know that we are supporting those who are sharing the gospel. And when we do, we're participating in their ministry and the rewards that come with it. And every, every week uh, on Wednesday, we have a Bible study here in this room at 7 o'clock. And uh, Brother Bill, one of our deacons, reads our mission list every week of the missionaries that we support all around the world. And uh, we have a heart and attitude of prayer toward them. We often read a missionary letter from one of our missionaries as well. You know, we, we have to continue to have a heart for those around the world, by our giving. But then I I want you to think about these last two. Here's the third one. Step out in faith. Step out in faith. Now, what does that mean? It means volunteer. Okay? God's army is 100% volunteer. There's no draft. You have to volunteer. You have to say, Lord, I'm willing There's a power-packed event in Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Isaiah said, I don't know how it's all going to work, but send me. And when you step out in faith, you don't know all the answers. You don't know how things are going to end up but you're willing to allow God to take you wherever he wants to take you. And so many people, 
in Christian circles uh, in our day and age, they say, here am I, Lord, send him. Right? We're ready and we're willing uh, for other people to volunteer to go to the uttermost. But we aren't willing to go ourselves. And, and so you really have to step up. Here's the fourth one. And I love this one. Go where I can now. Go where I can now. You know, this is something that all of us can do. I'd like to finish up in Mark chapter 5 today. If you have your Bible, turn over there. Mark chapter 5. And in this chapter, uh, there are the details of the salvation of a man who was once a maniac. Okay, he really was a maniac. Like, he was crazy. He was demon-possessed. He had some personal demons. And Jesus healed him and helped him to get things started in a new direction in his life. Look at Mark 5, starting in verse 7. One. And they came over onto the other side of the sea and into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because they had, he had been bound often with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. It cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And Forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And uh, one preacher said they committed suicide. Um, thought I'd throw that in. They fed the swine. Uh, they that fed the swine fled and told them the city and the country, and they went out to see what was done. Now, so here's this guy. Nobody can tame him. They chain him up. He broke the chains. He cuts himself. He yells. He's totally crazy. He's filled with demons. Jesus comes and says, come out of him. And Jesus casts the demons out. And they come. And here they, they find this guy. And it says in verse 15, he was sitting clothed and in his right mind. Now, they, they, the people said to Jesus, Jesus, you've got to get out of here. This kind of power, we don't want to deal with you. They asked him to depart out of their coast. And uh, when he had come to the ship to leave, this guy who had been healed, he came to the ship with him, and he said, I want to go with you. Jesus said, I just want to go with you. I want to travel with you. You healed me. You saved me. You cast the demons out of me. I just really want to go with you. And I want to look at verse number 19. Look what Jesus told him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home, friend. Anytime you talk about. Okay. Shane, what did I do? It's my antenna. 
Come, look, look at verse 19. He says to him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and have had compassion on you. After what Jesus did, here's what sticks is this. All right. Okay, I think we're getting there. Just sometimes you have to do that. It's the weirdest thing. So after what Jesus did for him, he wants to go with him. And Jesus says, no, listen, you go back home to your friends. You start with the people you know. We live in a country that is filled with needs all around us. People are hurting and depressed and dying. And here's where God wants it all to start for us. Go home. Go to the people at your campus, at your business, in your neighborhood, and tell them the good news so they can experience God's love and forgiveness, so they can have his peace and know his purpose for their lives. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do this. This guy wasn't a Bible scholar. He was a former maniac, right? (laughs) Throw that in your testimony. Well, I was a maniac, and and then I met Jesus. (laughs) It's a great testimony, right? I was, uh, I used to run loose in the tombs and the gravestones, you know, kind of live there. Then I met Jesus and everything changed. That was his testimony. And he wasn't a Bible scholar and you don't have to be either. You just have to tell people of your story of how you started a relationship with Jesus. A witness is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. You know, as we close today, If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you how you can do that. Because it could be that you're here today in church and you're listening and saying, you know, all this sounds really good, but I don't know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus today, you have to realize some important things. First, you have to realize that every one of us, all of us, we're sinners. And some people, they just don't like that word. But you know, we're not mistakers we're sinners. Okay? And we say we make mistakes, but we really, we just, we sin. And, and the, the Bible says another thing, we have to realize there's a penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. And that's all horrible news. We're sinners, we deserve eternal death. But listen to me, here's the good news. Jesus came to this earth just so that he could die on a cross and pay for our sins with his own blood. And now he offers to us the gift of eternal life. And whosoever will may come. Anybody who wants to receive the gift of life may come. One of our ladies this week, she called me and she said, I gave the gospel out and and, uh, I didn't really know if I should do a prayer at the end and have them pray a prayer and and, uh, how they get saved. I said, you know, There's no magic words to come to Jesus. There's no magic prayer that if you pray this prayer, you'll be saved. You have to pray it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. Right? There's no magic prayer. And uh, there are people uh, who get saved at their home. There's people who get saved at at church. There's people who get saved in their truck. There's people who get saved everywhere because they give their life to Jesus and they yield their life to him. And if you want to yield your life to Jesus this morning, as we close in prayer, I'm going to pray a prayer. 
Now, this prayer is not magic. It won't do anything for you if you don't mean it in your heart and declare it before God. But if you do that, he'll save you just like he saved some of us. I'm no better than anybody in here. I'm just a sinner. I put my pants on the same way you do. I got problems just like you have, but I'm saved by grace. And uh, Jesus, when I was 12 years old, 1984, I invited him into my life, and he came. I've been saved ever since. And uh, so let's pray together. Father, there may be people in this room this morning who've never invited you into their life. And if they really, truly want you to be their Savior, they could say this right now in their hearts. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that because of my sin, I deserve eternal death. But Jesus, you came to die on the cross to pay for my sin. And now you offer me the gift of eternal life. I turn from my way to you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Savior. I want a relationship with you. And for all those who are here this morning, how will they hear without a witness? How will they hear without a preacher? And God has sent all of us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have. And we pray now that we would have a heart to understand that one of the main things that you've called us to do is to go out and give others the gospel. As we talk more about it here in the month of November, I pray that you would help us to understand more of what it means to take your peace to those around us and to the nations. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you came today. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm the lead pastor here. And Pastor Cole is behind me, isn't he? Um, 